Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Looking forward to this one, Laurie, because thankfully we're not going to spend too much time looking back on that horror show at um, the Stade de Recreation <laughs> at the weekend, um, because we've got a, a special guest today, Charlie Mann, uh, Vladimir Romanov's PR guy from back in the day, will be joining us shortly, and I'm sure we'll have plenty tales to tell, and we can we can reminisce when we actually had good players and got good results, <laughs> as opposed to what happened at the weekend. Yes, when we used to put four goals past Alawa and, and pay... Uh, Yuho Makala, the average person's, you know, half an average person's salary in one game. But um, no, gone are those days because at the weekend, just to mention it, Mark, I'm sorry. I know we will speak to Charlie very shortly, but we have to at least acknowledge um, at the weekend, Hearts lost against Alawa Athletic. Their first ever recognised defeat against Alawa in over 130 years of playing them and only the second time that Alawa have now reached the quarterfinals of the League Cup. And, you know, last week I, I titled the show Winning because what we said basically was after the Alawa game, despite maybe there being some grumbles about certain things, Hearts were winning. And that was the main thing. You know, could very easily just call this week losing because although we missed chances in the first half at the weekend um, and Robbie Nielsen highlighted that they had chances to score goals, they lost at the end of the day, and that's all that's going to matter. And I think I know you didn't get a chance to watch the game, Mark, which is the same for many people because of no. I it wasn't a case of not getting a chance. Like, I refused. Yeah, I refused I... to line their pockets. I don't like Mulraney and, and some of the things and the comments that he's done. And my local team, Pennycook Athletic, were playing your local team. Yeah. Congratulations, <laughs> by the way, to, to Musselburgh Athletic. And I, I would much rather give my money to them. And I watched the stream, paid my money. And watched uh, watch Pennycook against Musselburgh. So no, I'm I'm, I'm not going to give Aloha any money based on on that stupid Twitter exchange that they had and and things they did before. Bitter, yes, but who cares? Pennycook got my money, and I have no interest in seeing what happened at Aloha. I listened to you, and um, I refused to pay the money to them. Which is fair enough. I, I think I guess my main point with this is, you know, Robbie Nielsen. It's going to have to look for a reaction from its players for this. And it's going to be one of these, yeah, losing in the League Cup, maybe it's not the end of the world, wasn't our main focus. But again, failing to, um, you know, failing to produce in a game like that, regardless of whether they had chances early on, very quickly fans will, will, will be on the manager's back. And I think... Understandably so. And you talk about main focus. It shouldn't matter if it's a main focus. That was embarrassment. An absolute embarrassment of a result against players, one of whom was working up until 4.30 that morning, part-timers, some in their 30s. That's unacceptable. So we need a reaction. And never mind the fact it wasn't our main focus. Heart of Midlothian players pulled on a Heart of Midlothian jersey. That was unacceptable and shall not be tolerated if it happens again. I think that's all that needs to be said. We move on and, yeah, let's hope for a reaction um, in the coming weekend. Well, you know how we always like to have a guest from time to time on Around the Fun. We've got a good one for this week. Um, here's a story from Sun in April 2018. 
struggling Scottish Labour have hired hated ex-Hearts owner Vladimir Romanov's former PR guru as Richard Leonard's spin doctor. Um, hated ex-Hearts owner Vladimir Romanov. Um, Charlie Mann is guest this week. That's a bit harsh because when he first came in, Charlie, he was the saviour. First of all, how are you? And does it seem like yesterday or does it seem like an eternity ago that that was one of the hats that you wore as Vladimir Romanov's PR guru? Well, it was just a bit. It's 15 years this year, isn't it? When the, mm. you know, George Burley came in and, uh, you know, it, it does seem like yesterday in many ways, uh, but it also does seem like a lifetime ago um, and maybe a lifetime of regrets, frustration, definitely, because... You know, whatever you say, whatever you think about Vladimir Romanov, um, there was a time where there was a major opportunity for this to be one of the biggest stories in Scottish football history. He blew it. Nobody else blew it. Vlad blew it. But, you know, it was certainly in the early days uh, a fantastic period. And, you know, somebody like... right. I've, I've got a background where, you know, I'm born in Huntley. I've, I grew up in Aberdeenshire. So, you know, my big team was the Scotland national team, right? So, you know, I don't have necessarily a huge affiliation to Rangers or Celtic. So I am like many people around this country who would love to see another team win the league. And I'll tell you what, there was an opportunity in those early days where Hearts may well have done exactly that. Did he not listen to you, Charlie? Is that why it didn't work? Or how was the relationship with you and him, and how did it change over the years? I, I think he did listen. To, see, I was very lucky because, you know, what I was employed by a PR agency, so I wasn't employed directly by Hearts. The money for the money for our agency came from Romanov or from Yukio Bankus themselves. So, you know, I was in the position where, you know, I couldn't be sacked by Vlad because I wouldn't lose my job with the agency. We may lose the job uh, as the as, as the contract with Vladimir and Yukio for Hearts, but I wasn't going to lose my job. So, you know, I did not have any fear of telling him straight, of giving it to him straight, of giving him my advice, which was professional advice. Now, whether he followed that or he didn't was up to him. But, you know, I was, so I could, I could stand there and look him in the eye and tell him the truth and say, you know, he was either being an idiot or he was being silly or if he did something and went down that route, this would be the result. And nine times out of ten, I was right. But, you know, it was up to him. It was up to him at the end of the day to take that advice or not. And he didn't always take it. So um, Romanov was linked to a few Scottish clubs before Hearts, and both Dundee clubs, Dunfermline as well. But it wasn't until the summer of 2004 that he had some meaningful talks with Hearts. So I just want to take you back, um, because obviously I know you wouldn't have been involved at that early point. But first of all, what were these early intentions? What did Romanov, uh, I guess, um, want to achieve at that point? And then when he brought, obviously, yourself and your agency in, what was he looking for you to, I guess, help him 
do? Was it to, to get that message across? Was there a certain spin that he was looking to, to get from yourselves? It was always a business deal, Laurie. What he was trying to do and what he had done in other parts of, the, of Europe was that he had used football and, and the, you know, the strength of feeling that people have for football and the emotion that people have for football to grow businesses in those areas. Now, he obviously had UQ Bankers, which uh, obviously was in Lithuania, but he wanted to grow the bank reach new areas and, you know, as I've said many times before, there are five major financial centres in Europe. Uh, Edinburgh is one of those centres and uh, if he could get UQ Bankers established in Edinburgh, that would be a major thing for him and his business. Credibility, dealing with uh, the UK financial authorities, growing the bank and was what he was trying to do. So that was the ambition and the purchase of hearts or the involvement with hearts was to assist that whole process grow and develop. And obviously, therefore, between the two things, you would grow and develop the club and establish the bank in one of these key financial centres. Having failed elsewhere, was the hearts fit largely due to the position the club were in because obviously they'd agreed the sale of Tynecastle to Callow Homes. I think they had until the end of the, the following January, January 2005, to get out of that. Obviously, they were in a lot of debt. There was a lot of um, a lot of unhappiness towards Chris Robinson at the time. Was it a case that, you know, because he was welcomed very much so when he came to Hearts, whereas there was more trepidation elsewhere. Was it the fact that Hearts were just almost desperate that the fit worked so so quickly and he was welcomed so easily? No, I think it's more that Hearts are a major club and they are a major club, a bigger club than the others he'd spoken to previously, also based in Edinburgh, also, you know, in a position where the, the finances were right. So, and, and what appealed to him as well, and again, remember, this is a guy who, who uh, you know, was was the major uh, breadwinner for his family from a very early age. So, you know, it was an opportunity to grow something just in the same way as he'd grown his business in uh, Lithuania or Russia was in those early days. From selling Beatles albums out the boot <laughs> of a car. You know, yeah. that's true. That's what happened. Then he was in the, 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 the Navy, Merchant Navy. And he was, you know, when he was travelling around the world in the Merchant Navy, he recognised the opportunity to take branded clothing back to Russia and sell it to the Russians because they didn't have access to that. So, you know, and then he had his own factory to, to make the stuff. So it was all about growing business, being successful in business. And he did that really well. He was in, uh, listen, was he in the right place at the right time and the, the dissolvement of Russia? Probably yes. But, uh, you know, so were many other oligarchs around, the, uh, around Russia at that time. So, you know, that was all about just building the business and hearts was an opportunity to, to get really involved in football with a serious football team. Those Beatles albums, Charlie, you certainly gave Hearts fans a ticket to ride. Um, <laughs> now, we, <laughs> we, you and I, uh, around that time, you, you kindly invited um, myself and a few others to go over to Lithuania to kind of see the structure, uh, which, which was very interesting. It was a very different structure. Even the cities of Vilnius and Kaunas are very 
different. Vilnius was more, I thought, more like Edinburgh. Kaunas was was more a backwater. It was more a Dundee or something like that. And it, it still had businesses coming out of it, but it kind of, it was the little brother and Vilnius was, was the big brother. Um, when you look back at your time with Romanov, what are you most proud of and what's your biggest regret? Well, the biggest regret is that uh, we didn't achieve what we could have achieved. Uh, what I'm proud of, I'm proud that I, I was involved with it with the whole process, you know, uh, my role was very much to try and get across to the, to the fans and to the people around the club and to, to the media in Scotland, what he was trying to do. Now, we did do that to a, a huge extent before, you know, his scepticism, his chip in his shoulder, got the better of him and, and, you know, he began to to feel that he didn't need to communicate with anybody. And at that stage, you know, later in the in the process, then, uh, you know, I, I didn't see the role for us because if you didn't want to communicate, there was no point in being there. And that's why, you know, and that's why we were, I gave up the, the position and, uh, you know, terminated the agreement. There's a lot being said about Romanov and Hearts at the time, but let's dig a little bit deeper. Can you tell us anything or things that never made the public spotlight, never made the newspapers, but you know about them and you're willing to tell us just now? Oh, well, it was many things. Uh, <laughs> you know, listen, listen the, glory day, the, the glory days, and it were, they weren't glory days, those first few games under George Burley and the, the fans are singing, we are unbeatable. And, you know, the, we go to Livingston on a Sunday and blow them away. I mean, blow them away in the first half, 3-0 up with some of the best football that I've seen in Scotland for many, many a year. And, you know, and you're thinking, this is going somewhere. This, is, this has really got an opportunity. But, you know, you say to George, and I did say to George, is it possible? do you think that Hearts can win the league? And he said, no, we can't at this stage because we don't have enough players capable of going to Ibrox or Celtic Park on a midweek night when they really needed to win. And he just didn't have enough players to do that. And that was the difference between that Hearts side and a Hearts side that could have won the championship. Now, there were great players in that heart side. You know, the Scots guys, Presley, Craig Gordon, Paul Hartley, you know, Robbie Nielsen, you name it. These guys, he was not talking about them, but there were one or two others around that who just didn't have that mentality that you would definitely get a result, as Celtic and Rangers have done, as Fergie's Aberdeen did do. Obviously, you, you mentioned it. it it was a glorious time at the start of that season. Burley coming in, the big signings, Skatchel, Jankowskis, Fisas, um, a record equaling start to the season. Obviously, the first, I suppose, big issue or, or, or big controversy under Romanov was um, with George Burley, I guess, and his departure. Um, that must have been, I guess, a, an interesting. Um, little period to try and deal with did it come out of the blue for you or had you did you have a feeling that it was maybe on the cards 
I knew it was on the cards because there was a meeting at Tyne Castle on the Friday before that happened. And I fought George's corner. Uh, and, I, and, you know, they said to me that there was a potential that this would happen. And it would happen after the game the next day. And I came out of that meeting uh, with Sergius, Vlad, a number of other people where I thought I had persuaded them to at least give George Burley until the Christmas period. I thought it definitely, that was clear to me that they had decided that I had, I had won my corner and said to them, guys, this is the biggest mistake you're going to make. You must, I understand if you want to do this, let's wait till Christmas. Let's wait till the end of the year, but do not do it now. And they, they bought into that. Now, I don't know what happened on the Friday night, but I left Tank Castle that afternoon confident that George Burley would be in post at Christmas at least. Um, and at that time, I was still doing the football, my football reporting on the BBC. Um, and so Friday left, Friday night, and I was driving to a uh, St Martin on the Saturday and David Tanner phoned me and said George had got the sack. David phoned me in my mobile in the car on the Kingston Bridge and said that George Burley had been removed and I could not believe it because I had thought that that was not going to happen until at least December. So very, two very quick follow-ups, I'll ask them both just now. I mean, we've got a couple of questions related to this. Um, Harry Temple was one of them who asked what was the, the real reason behind the George Burley sack and what was the main reason? And then a second one is in terms of replacing George Burley. You know, we, we heard lots of names linked with it. Bobby Robson, Claudio Ranieri. Um, what was that process like um, in terms of dealing with, with all those names and the, and the potential signings that Hearts could have brought in as a manager? Vlad wanted George to go to Lithuania for a spell. And I think it was just, I, I do not know the full reason for that. I've, I have my suspicions. Uh, but I think it was an element of George, what, uh, Vlad wanted George closer to him. And George, obviously, you know, couldn't do that because, you know, that wasn't going to work in terms of his commitment to the club. That was part of it. There were a few other reasons. Uh, and, you know, there was a distancing between the two, uh, which, you know, was very hard for, for those of us involved to believe. Uh, so, you know, that was, a, that was a really sad day. I mean, I, I honestly, I think if George had still been there, they would have had a chance of winning the league, despite George saying they may not have. Um, then, you've had, then you've got the, the process, and it was, it was a bizarre process to replace George, you know, you had Bobby Robson mentioned, uh, Claudio Ranieri, Ozzy Ardias, Lothar Mateus, Kevin Keegan. Huge list of names were put forward to, to replace George. And then we had, there was a, <laughs> there was a range of interviews in, in the hotel in, uh, in Edinburgh, you know, and uh, on the North Bridge. Uh, and that was a, a circus of, <laughs> I mean, listen, you're trying to get Claudio Ranieri into a hotel and nobody to see him. You know, why is he in Edinburgh? You know, and it's, it, was, it was almost as bizarre 
almost as bizarre as the time when Ewan Cameron, for reasons best known to himself on his uh, talk-in programme, said that uh, Rude Hewlett was in the Caledonia Hotel getting interviewed for the job. Now, Rude Hewlett, for God's sake, you know, he would interview Hearts, not Hearts interview him. But, you know, so that was a major, major story. And I had the phone was ringing off the hook for people saying to me, right, Charlie, you know, when's Rude getting the job? And I'm saying, what do you mean, when's Rude getting the job? He's in the Caledonian Hotel being interviewed now. And I said, no, he's not. And, you know, the guys in the Scotsman were one of those who were phoning me. And I said, right, I'll tell you what, you're closer to the hotel than I. Go round and see. It was bizarre. But, you know, that was the kind of... That was the aura around the whole thing. You know, uh, these big names were seriously interested, seriously interested. Because, you know, they had seen, because don't forget, you know, all the stuff that the club was getting, all the coverage that the club was getting was national coverage because they were looking like breaking that Celtic Rangers domination. So, you know, it was all over the country and there was even questions asked on some of these uh, lottery show quiz programmes. One of them was Vladimir Romanov is the owner of a football club in the UK. Is it A, B and C? And one of the answers was Hearts. And this woman from Buckinghamshire in England knew the answer. Why would she know the answer? Because it was such a huge story at the time. And that's why these major names were drawn to it. When I was lucky enough to arrange with you that you were going to come on, Charlie, I've, I've reread bits of, of Believe um, from 2005. And, and the list, there were two lists prior to Burley coming in, list A and list B. It was a strategy, they called them. Strategy A criteria um, was selected for consideration. So Bobby Robson, Gerard Houllier, Graham Souness, Ron Atkinson, Kevin Keegan, Gordon Strachan, George Graham, Co Adrianza and David Platt. Strategy B was George Burley, Billy Davis, Neil Cooper, Steve Cotterill, Gary Johnson, Dave Jones, Gary Megson, Joe Royal, Paul Sturrock, and Peter Taylor. Hearts made their choice. They went for Bobby Robson. Bill Anderton interviewed Bobby Robson in Newcastle on Wednesday, the 1st of June, 2005. It didn't happen. That was Bobby's decision, but he always said it was a club that he may at another time have taken that role, but, but he didn't. So it was down to two, George Burley and Nevio Scala. Now, it was Burley who ended up getting the job. That's the background. Burley got fired. Then, this is what I'd kind of forgotten about. Burley was offered his old job back. What happened then? I don't, I don't know. I seriously don't know. And that's part of the problem that I faced on, on many, many occasions. There was a, you know, Sergeyus and some of the other guys were, were there to act as the go-between between Vlad and I. Now, Vlad didn't speak much English, as we know, but he did understand it. No question about that. But like you or I, and you know, getting French to A level, but could you have a, a serious conversation with you know, people in France? I don't know, you know. But so there were so many things going on in the background that I wasn't, fully aware of yet my role was to try and communicate that to to the public and to the to the fans so there was often a distance between what happened and what I was told had happened and I, I do not know why George and, and Vlad couldn't come to an arrangement there. Does it surprise you looking back now knowing what you know 
about the relationship. And, and you said you had your suspicions about why Vlad wanted George over to Lithuania. What were those suspicions? And, and does it surprise you that Vlad, having got rid of a manager, would then go back, not so much cap in hand, and say, we want to hire you again? What would those conditions have been for him to have been rehired? Uh, change, the, change the process in which things worked. You know, potentially, I don't know, have more of a, have more of a communication with the owner about team selection. I don't know. Possibly. I mean, I'm only surmising what, what many other people are surmising Vlad wanted to do. He, I think, he, you know, in, in the continent, there is a lot more uh, communication between coaches and, and owners about team selection. Now, you know, you decide what, what that actually means. Uh, and George was a, is a really good manager, uh, you know, and it was, you know, a traditional manager in the true Scottish sense of the word. You know, very, very good at his job, but had his ways and had, his, had the way that he felt that that should happen. Now, did Vlad totally agree with that? Probably not. So, prior to George Burley being fired, and I know we're jumping back and forth, and I apologise for <laughs> that, but there's, there's a lot kind of going on here. Um, <clears throat> he could have gone just 12 days afterwards that when he was appointed because he and Simon Hunt and Malcolm Webster were sitting in the Hilton Dublin Airport Hotel. They'd given a list of transfer targets to Vladimir Romanov a few days beforehand, if in fact even before they went to Dublin, and he'd rebuffed them. And Burley was considering quitting there. Also, before they went to Dublin, I did an interview with George, and I've still got it on tape somewhere, and he said, if Vladimir Romanov ever tries to interfere with my team selection, I'll quit. It's as simple as that. I'm in charge. He's employed me to be the Hearts manager. I'm not taking orders with regards to team selection from someone like an owner, even although he pays my wages. I'm the yep. boss. Was this doomed right from the start, given all that we know? And as a result, we now have this what might have been scenario. Hindsight's a great thing. Yeah, probably. It was. I was at Dublin as well. I was aware of the conversations because obviously uh, you're, you're right in the thick of it. You do hear what's being said and what's not being said. But I think George also saw the potential in the role. Uh, so, you know, I think there was a part of that in terms of him not going at that early stage because he saw potential to, you know, to, to be a success and to, you know, listen, if George Burley had won the league that season with Hearts, you know, what, a, what an opportunity, what a, what a CV he would have had, you know, what an opportunity he would have had to get a, a bigger job uh, further down the line, you know. So there was, a, there was a, I could see his ambition. His ambition was there. He looked at the Scottish players. He looked at what potentially was coming in and he could see that they could do something there. I mean, we talked about, obviously, Burley leaving. Um, Anderton was involved only for a short period after that. I think he'd he'd started some of the interview process, but by the end of October, he was sacked. George Folks resigned in protest of that with um, Roman Romanov obviously coming in uh, to replace him, Vladimir's son. Um, and then when Graham Ricks was put in charge in November, obviously that wasn't very well received by fans. 
I mean, what was what was your feeling around this time? Because obviously that's a lot to deal with, especially from a PR point of view. In the space of a, a few weeks, you know, you've gone from everything almost being rosy, even though it wasn't, but you know, for a lot of people it looked that way, to manager going, uh, chief exec going, <laughs> board member going, um, a son being brought in who no one knew anything about, a manager being brought in who had um, obviously a background that the fans didn't like. Um, I mean, you must be working overtime at that point. Oh, big time, big time. I mean, you know, Gary Ralston uh, did a piece and said that, you know, at that stage I was putting out more fires than, than Red Adair was. And that was probably, <laughs> you know, that was probably just about right at that stage because, you know, turbulent times, very difficult times and trying to keep it on track. I was trying desperately to keep it on track because, you know, again, you wanted to keep it on track for the for the people within the club and also for the players, uh, you know, uh, you felt that if you could just keep them, keep them a, a back a bit from all of that, keep them from interfering just too much, you still had the chance to be successful, you know, and Graham Ricks got a really hard time. Um, you know, I'm not defending Graham Ricks' past, but Graham Ricks, I thought, was a decent person. I know Charlie Nicholas well, uh, and Charlie also spoke very highly of Graham Ricks. I was one of the few people in the in the offices at Tyne Castle on the day that Graham Ricks came in that knew who he was. Um, and I couldn't actually believe I'd seen him in the office uh, and had to put two and two together. And, you know, again, there was a stage where I was ready to walk it around about that period as well because, you know, to do my job, to do a communications job successfully, you need a direct link to the boss, to the owner, to the chief executive, uh, to, and you need to know what's coming your way because you cannot be firefighting all the time because as soon as you start firefighting, you're losing the communication with the most important people, which are the fans and the, and the, your stakeholders and those who are involved in the club, and you have to keep them on side. And if you're continually reacting to stuff, being reactive and everything, people, you know, they, t- they start believing other sources other than you. Uh, the Maroon Report tweeted, and they were just asking, what did your role as Vladimir's spokesperson specifically entail? And what was that on like a day-to-day or week-to-week basis? And obviously with him not being in the country frequently. So was that dealing with spokespeople from Lithuania at times? Did you get much direct contact with Vlad? Or was that, like you say, your main frustration with the job? I didn't get enough one-to-one time with with, uh, Vlad because of the the distance between, you know, the two countries uh, because he always felt he dealt, he wanted to deal with the, the his Lithuanian staff who then would help me. Now, he's very close to, to Sergius uh, and uh, Valdas when he came in, um, you know, so the contacts were there, but even they didn't really get too close to the way Vlad was thinking because, you know, as we all know, it's it's, it had to be Vlad's way, and there wasn't much in the way of uh, track persuade him. Otherwise, you could you could paint a scenario for him, and he en- he enjoyed you doing that. He listened to you uh, when you had the opportunity to speak to him, uh, but you know that's all you could do because 
so many times when he when he'd made up his mind, there was nothing I could do to change his mind. Now that made it difficult for me because, you know, I felt that somebody had to communicate to the fans who were desperate to know what was going on, and you know nobody else was prepared to do it, so I had to do it. And that's not, a, that's not something you, you would normally want to be as, as a PR person. You really don't, don't want to be the spokesperson for your client or, or for whoever you're working with. You want them to do that. You can be preparing them, you know, delivering the right uh, situation for them to be interviewed. But, you know, you don't want to be the person who's, who, again, is delivering information directly in that fashion because, again, people don't want to talk to the to the to the monkey they want to talk to the organ grinder you know and, and, and you know again on one of the phone-ins at the times we were all being called puppets because we were all working to vlad vlad was pulling the strings and the guy said to me on on the program charlie you're not a puppet you're a muppet now you know you have to take that and that's the way of the world because i was the i was the one who had to deliver the news or the information good or bad to the fans and, and to the media and to the, the wider public. So, of course, some people wanted to shoot the messenger and not the right person. Charlie, I'm going to give you that time again when you were representing or the representative of Vladimir Romanov as far as your PR firm is concerned. You'd like to change one thing. What would you change? Not sacking George Burley. Uh, biggest mistake that he made biggest mistake it made you know uh, and I think it, you know everything would have been different if George had still been there and been able to to take the club for the whole of that season and you know I think you know that would have changed history in terms of you know looking at champions of uh, Scottish Football League you know Hearts would have been there Hearts would have been a champion you know George maybe didn't think so but I I think many people did believe that and and further along the line, that would have happened. Snatcher goes down, the referee quite sensitive. My view lets them go on. And the final whistle goes. It's eight straight victories for Hearts at the start of the season. A remarkable record. And there's jubilation all around Tynecastle. Me and Murray and Stephen Presley are not too happy at all with each other. I don't know what that's about. But they're very upset and angry. Julian Brellier in an outstanding match for Hearts. Supporters have seldom known things so good as 1960 when they last won the league championship. But that is right on the cards now. They proved it against one of the old firm. That was always the challenge they had. They've done it. They've done it convincingly. There can be no argument they're worth the victory. June the 30th, 2005, George Burley's appointed the new manager of Hearts. October. The 22nd, George Burley is sacked. Between those two dates, those two men got to know each other. Vladimir Romanov clearly realised that George wasn't a yes man. I've already mentioned the interview that he did in Radio 4th that said, if he tries to pick my team, I will no longer be there. Is that the reason subsequently why Hearts ended up with Graham Ricks, who is a, was a wonderful and is a, a, a super, super guy, but he's a, he's a coach, a bit like Ian Cathro, wonderful coach, but just he didn't want to be a manager, whereas Cathro maybe thought, I, I quite fancy this. Um, so you saw Ricks come in. 
And then you saw, you spoke about puppets. Valdas was a lovely guy. We had Malafeyev and Korobochka and these guys as well. They were, they were just a, yes, sir, three bags full, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, there's, there's your issue. And, and you, you then have the team selection and Graham Ricks coming out before the Dundee United game and, and pretty much admitting, I haven't picked the team. George wouldn't have stood for that. No, that's right. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that, a lot of that was the reason for the, the fallout between uh, George and, and Vladimir. No question about that. He wanted, Vlad wanted more involvement, you know, and again, in that Dundee United game, I travelled up in the car with, uh, with Vlad and uh, one of the interpreters and he never mentioned it. Never said a word. And I got to, to Tanadice and then all the news came out and I'm thinking, what? How did this happen? You know, what on earth is this? So he never said a word. Just text him where you're not looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drop Robbie Nielsen. <laughs> well, you know, it was just, honestly, there was, we talked about all sorts of things. Everything under the sun about uh, travelling up between Edinburgh and, and Dundee and it was a, you know, obviously try to get in Edinburgh and traffic's always difficult anyway. A long, long journey, not a mention. And then I'm faced with that when I get there. So then I've got to try and find out, is that the truth? What has happened here? Then you put on in some, you know, then Radio Scotland and others put microphones under your mouth and want to know the answer. I know the fans want to know what's going on. So I have to, again, stool pigeon, out you go. You need to tell people what's going on. And you only know half the story. Now, equally, we know that uh, people had got that information via agents. I know that for a fact. And, uh, and, you know, and that's the way it worked. That, you know, there's lots of stuff coming out that maybe shouldn't have come out, but quite rightly should have come out as well. So you're in a, it's a catch-22 situation. I felt like with Richard Gordon after that, because, you know, again, you know, People should know that I don't take these decisions. I never took the decisions. But, you know, the finger was pointed very much in my direction. And, you know, it was, it was bizarre, bizarre. So you mentioned, obviously, the problems arising from um, the controversy around who was picking the team, that coming from agents. So clearly there were players that weren't happy around that time. Um, the Rickerton three, it's something we've mentioned before in this podcast. It's something that's come yeah. up. We've had Craig Gordon on the podcast before and we've spoken about it with him as well. What what were, what was your involvement? Were you aware that this was on the cards it was going to happen? Did they uh, did they involve you in this at all? Or did you get anything from Lithuania in terms of how to deal with this? Uh, no. Again, that was another classic. And, you know, <laughs> let me say right at the outset, that uh, Craig, Stephen and, and Paul were absolutely right to do what they did that day um, uh, because, you know, there were so many things going on in the background, you know, Riemann or Golden Rods and all that kind of stuff, uh, which, you know, was making a mockery of the club. It was making a mockery of the club. Now, in, in nobody liked to see that uh, at all and, you know, because Hearts is an institution in this country and some of the stuff going on in the background was just ridiculous, honestly was. Uh, so the guys were totally right to do what they did. Uh, and I said that to Stephen 
as well afterwards when, when we spoke about it. Uh, but it was Mark that told me when I arrived at Rickerton that, that uh, lunchtime for the, for the conference, you know, Claire and, and, and Mark were, were the first ones to, to say to me, there's an issue here and, and this is going to happen uh, again. So what happened to it? My, I had to try and find out the background to it. So obviously <laughs> first thing was to go and see what on earth had happened and what was going on. So, you know, but that was the way it worked on so many occasions. Like, listen, look, I know this, is, this may be sounding like I'm a bleeding heart here, um, you know, and I've had, so Charlie's had a hard time, blah, blah, blah. Charlie didn't have a hard time. Charlie thoroughly enjoyed working with hearts throughout the whole process. And, you know, I, I thought it was one of the, you know, it was a great opportunity for the club. But, you know, I'm, I'm only letting you know what the truth of the situation was. On many of these occasions, I did not know a thing about what was some of the stuff that's going on in the background because maybe the maybe the players kept it to themselves quite rightly in the dressing room, but the Lithuanians didn't necessarily tell me there were problems until, on many occasions, it was the media guys who were telling me. Can you remember what was said? What did I, what did I say to you? What did Claire say to you that you, day? You, you, st you said, you saw me coming in and said, look, this is going to happen and there's been issues. So then I went and spoke to, to Claire and, you know, and she gave me a bit more of the detail in the background. Then you sat in in the conference and, you know, you sat in in the conference to, to fully understand what was going on. Aye. I mean, that's, that's the way it worked. Listen, that's the way it worked, you know. Uh, the communication between the, the Lithuanians and, and those of us who were involved in promoting the club was poor. And there, there wasn't a structure. Sorry, Laura. There wasn't a structure. There was a Charlie. Because normally, if something like this happens in the club, it's a massive thing. But massive things happen at the time. So it wasn't a kind of case of, oh, I'll phone Charlie first or I'll phone whatever first. We had our, our guys that we knew at the club. I spoke with them either the night before or two nights before. And I'm not saying I knew it was going to happen because I, I didn't. But I had an idea something might happen. And then on the morning of, I think I bumped into him at Rickerton and he. he I can't remember what he said. I'd be lying if, if I did, but I knew something was up and I got that from someone else. That's the way it was, wasn't it? It was a yeah. case of different... There were, there were too many leaks at that football club because too many people didn't like what was going on. Yeah, and, and you know, they were right to try and make that public so that people did know what was going on um, because it's important that, you know, the club is run properly and it wasn't being run properly through Vlad's interference and things. So... You know, these are three very, very highly regarded and professional players who did exactly the right thing that day. And, you know, that came out in the open. And I think it probably did do a bit to try and solve those issues. It's good that they were in the open air. Uh, people knew what was going on instead of, you know, all the rumours in the background that was going on. So whilst it was a, a car crash of a, of a news conference again, um, it maybe wasn't the worst thing to happen. What was Romanov's feeling towards players? I mean, especially later on, especially after, I suppose, that incident and, and as his time went on at Hearts, because obviously we know that Stephen Presley did not last much longer at Hearts. Um, 
There was also the incident where Romanov threatened to put the whole team up for sale um, if they didn't win the next game. I think it was against Dunfermline at the time. Yeah. And I think there was a quote where he said, I'll move them on to Kilmarnock or whatever club will take them. Um, I mean, what was his... What, what did he th- I got the feeling the longer things went on, the, the less he was keen on individuals. And you know, we saw many players didn't last long. Sometimes many people said it was because they were popular. I wonder if there was... Laurie more to that, uh, you know. I didn't think so at the time. Uh, I didn't think his ego, Vlad's ego, was getting in the way. But maybe there was more to that because you know the players and, and George Burley and others were were very very popular. Vlad was very popular when he went out and about and spoke to the Hearts fans. You know, when I talk about that Livingston game, he was in the stand. He went to the game on a supporters' bus. You know, he went to the pub with the supporters before he went to the game. So, you know, he was getting all the adulation that he wanted. And, and listen, you know, the, the Vladimir Romanov song was running, ringing around Tyne Castle at the time as well. So did it get to him? Maybe it did. I, I really don't know. But, you know, after the semi-final, the victory over Hibs in the semi-final, which was one of the best days, no question about that, one of the best days because the performance, again, was sensational that day. And he came out with some great lines about, you know, the, the fans being worth more to him than all the oil in, in uh, Russia. And, you know, the, you know the, this was a real opportunity to take the, the football power from the west to the east. You know, uh, some great lines in the media guys lapped that up that day. And it was, a, it was a pleasure to be involved. And, you know, I didn't make that up for him. Those were his own words that uh, he came up with after that victory. And that was, a, honestly, one of the best days and some of the goals in that game were, were absolutely sensational. And Paul Hartley's performance it was magnificent that day. It certainly was. It's interesting you mentioning um, him being on the team bus. And there's one that I have to ask you, and Old Castle Rock mentioned it as well. I don't know if they only mentioned it because I've brought this up and I can't remember. I'm sure I heard you telling this, and you might be about to tell me that it's nonsense and I heard someone else saying it. A story about a certain trip up to Inverness where Romanov was on the bus. Um, if, you know, if, you, if you know where I'm going with this, I think you will know the story. Are you t- oh. Well, there's, there's two things about going to Inverness. It's, it, one was the, you wanted to swim in Loch Ness with a monster. Ah, it's the other one. Eventually. <laughs> the one about stopping in the field to, to light a fire. Well, that's that the one? Well, I thought it was to do with stopping um, and speaking to a farmer about getting, and I can't remember what the animal was. Um, was was there not one about he, he wanted to get, a, it was either a sheep or a pig or something from a farmer on the way up at one point? Well, there was definitely, I mean, that might be, a, <laughs> there might be an embellishment going on there, but definitely uh, he wanted to stop to simply go out into the, into the landscape set a fire and just enjoy the, you know, the, the landscape. I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, that's not normally what would happen. Is that uh, on the way to the game? Uh, I can't remember if it was the way to the game or the way back. One of the, I, I can't remember, but it, it was, it was uh, another... It's a Look, he probably did that in Lithuania and he did that in Russia and, and you know, in those early days. That's back to nature stuff, you know, but it was... It may well have been, 
you know, there may well have been a farmer involvement, but I, I, I knew definitely about the fire. I didn't know about maybe, you know, buying a sheep or whatever to, to roast on the fire. I think that might be a slight embellishment. <laughs> we love a tangent on this podcast, Charlie. So here, here's, here's a, a, a distinct tangent. Were you ever made aware or suspicious of any skullduggery from Romano bordering on illegality that you had to put a stop to? No, no. There's no Never. purpose. No, there's, no, no, good. There's no kind of, I was just, I went fishing to see <laughs> if I could catch the monster in Loch Ness and see what came up with. No, just, just with the way it all ended and, and him on the run and, and financially as well. Um, I, I, just, I just wondered if there was ever anything that you kind of got wind of that you thought, I, I can't be representing this anymore. Or in the end, did it just come to a, well, he's not listening or there's no role for me anymore. What was the deal? No, I mean, I'm a, I, my career is around communication. Then that's talking to the fans and, and, you know, get, for example, getting the Jambos kickback boys involved in some of the, the board meetings, you know, because there was a real, there was a real feeling that that shouldn't happen, but I forced that through and it did happen. And I think it was all about, you know, getting the, getting the fans closer to the running of the club. So, you know, my role was to communicate that and it's, you know, to try and let people understand some of the stuff that's going on in the, in the background. So, you know, when he, for whatever reason, you know, I mean, I, all the stuff about the, the, the monkeys and the sun and, the, you know, all that stupidity. And, the, you know, there was one major sense of humour bypassed by the, the media guys was the day that, you know, we took him in nuts and bananas to try and have a lighten the mood around all this monkey nonsense that Vlad was spouting about the media guys. And, you know, people really kicked off against Backett on that one. And Who's I that? Do... Was that? Your, yours or Paul Kiddies? Uh, both of us together. And, and David as well. David was involved. David, me and Paul Kiddie were all there in the morning. We're all saying this is absolute nonsense. You know, there's, you know, we know the way things work in this country. I, you know, the media guys are very good at their job. Very, you know, very, you know, serious journalists. You know, they're never. And that whole thing about being monkeys was just ridiculous. Another, another ridiculous one. So we wanted to make light of that, mm. and you know, that's what it was about. It wasn't trying to stir the the pot or make it more difficult for people. And you know, I. I thought they would have seen the. I thought the guys would have seen the laugh in that one because you know we are not saying that they're. Oh, it was just stupid, you know. No, I wouldn't have do it again, but you know. <laughs> but on the on the day that it happened, it was it was meant as a trying to make light of a very very stupid situation. Last week, when we said that you were coming on, I. Um, teased the fact that you were coming with an exclusive. Chaba Laszlo took over in July 2008 of Hearts, but it might not have been him. What's your exclusive and who might it have been? Graham Sunis was uh, high on the list of potential candidates. You know, there was <laughs> Campbell Ogilvie, David Southern and I sat down one day in the, the media room at Tyne Castle to try and come up with names of potential managers who would come in, stabilise the club, 
get the club back to what it should have been doing, which is challenging for titles and challenging for cups. And you know, we all agreed uh, that Graham Souness would have been a key candidate to make that happen. Now, Campbell obviously worked with him in his time at Rangers. Uh, you know, Graham, I think, might, would he have been working for Sky at the time? Possibly. He was, he was, so, he, yeah, because he left Newcastle in tw- 2006. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, he would have been, you know, it would have been a big money deal if it was to happen. But we had to think big at that time because you had to try and get back to what we all felt was the potential for the club. And Sunis was, a, you know, given his, his uh, links with the club previously and Edinburgh and everything like that. I, I mean, the fact that he's been successful in Scotland and, you know, I thought it would have been a, a really good appointment, but it just didn't happen. Was now, it ever close? No, I don't think so, Mark. I, I don't think, I was just going to say, I don't think that the approach was ever made because uh, probably what happened is that, uh, you know, it's all very well, the three of us sitting down and saying, this is what we want to happen. But making that happen is a, is a different story entirely. He wouldn't have lasted a week, Charlie. <laughs> well, you know, would, he have, would, he have, would he have taken the role? I don't know. Maybe, Fireworks. Maybe he, yeah, it, would have been a, it would have been worth seeing. Uh, you know, it would have been worth it to, to see what happened. But, you know, because he definitely would have had the ability to, to galvanise the place. Now, whether he could have worked with Vlad, different story. So Romanov um, was obviously very outspoken and often that was your um, burden to, to bear in terms of <laughs> dealing with that. I, I mean, I think even in the end of the season prior to the Burley arrival, he'd questioned SFA integrity after a penalty the Rangers won at Tynecastle. Um, I tell you, he, that was one of the biggest news conferences in Scottish, recent Scottish football history. That was a massive evening. Uh, you know, the, the Andy Davis, Miko yeah. stuff. Uh, you know, and again, <laughs> the, the match happened, so they were raging afterwards and they were, we were in the, we were in the, the boardroom afterwards and the, the guys were absolutely, Vlad was raging, Chris Robinson was raging, loads of people were absolutely raging about it and quite rightly so, yeah. quite rightly so, you know, and Miko was getting a hell of a hard time for it. I said to them, right, guys, okay, that was a dodgy penalty, a seriously dodgy penalty. But what happens? And I think Hearts were playing Celtic in the following week in the semi-final of the League Cup or something. It was around that time you lost 2-1 as well. Yeah. And I said to them, right, I'll tell you what. What happens if Hearts get a dodgy penalty in that semi-final and win the game? What are you going to say? But again, they didn't see that. They could not see that. And they went hell for leather that they wanted to go down this route of lacking integrity and all that question and the integrity of the officials, which I said they should not do, but they absolutely went ahead and did that. And I can remember that we had that news conference because it was a Friday night, uh, because obviously a lot of the media guys are based in Glasgow. It was in the Weber-Shandwick office in Glasgow, and it was a massive news conference that night with a huge story and you know it got everywhere and you know it's it was it was good to be involved in but 
again, I was fighting for that not to happen because I felt that, you know, the integrity of the club was getting dragged into something they shouldn't be dragged into. Yeah, I mean, it set the tone in many ways for the next few years because hearts were fined. Um, the, the 2006, that was when Romanov had suggested that... Um, they didn't. They didn't manage to stop Hearts getting the cup despite all the referees' efforts. Yeah, and um, I think he then had some problems when he was uh, accused. Then he accused the old firm possibly of buying match officials, but then said that it was taken out of context or misquoted. I mean, was this something that he very much believed in due to that Andy Davis incident? Was it? Was a lot of it an act? No, was it really, what he felt. What you've got to remember, Laurie, is that that probably went on in Lithuania. That yeah. certainly probably went on in Russia. Now, we know for a fact it does not happen in this country and it never happens in this country. Um, now, I do know one, there was one occasion at Celtic Park, right? So he was in the, the tunnel area at Celtic Park and he overheard two people. Now, the, the phrase used to be was officials, but I don't know if that was the truth or not. There were people who were involved in both clubs or set in the in or involved in the game in the tunnel talking about as you would what do you think the result to be in this the game the day and people had said it would be a one one draw or a draw mm-hmm. and it ended up being a draw and you know at that time Celtic you know Hearts going to, to Celtic Park and getting a draw was probably about the right result. You know? Uh, and we all know that that's probably about the way the game might have gone. But he thought it was a conspiracy. And that's where some of this started from. It aligned to the fact that he knew it went on in, in uh, Lithuania and Russia. And remember when we were in Athens, Mark, in the mm. Champions League match, and he went off his head about yep. you know, the referee in that game as well. And, and you're saying to him, oh, you know, he, he just couldn't get it out of his head once it was in his head. I just see so many similarities, Charlie, with what, Trump has done, the way he's governed over here with the way Romanov is. And I, I just think it's not so much Trump and Romanov. I just think it's when you get to that level, when you reach that level of whether it's success financially or, or whatever, um, you leave a hell of a lot of collateral damage in your wake, don't you? Oh, no question about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can even compare Vlad and Trump, to be fair. Um, but, you know, it's... You've got to remember where Vlad's come from. He's, he's come from the, you know, Russia and the Cold War, where you know you seriously had to know who your friends were, uh, or else you know you could be ended very quickly by the KGB if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. So he had to know who his friends were, and a lot of what he did was to try and flush out who was on his side and who wasn't on his side. Now, and you know, so that could be very inflammable and was on many occasions with some of the stuff he said but you know when you got this guy was brought up in that whole background mm. and you, you can you can understand it to a degree you know in our country that's totally just doesn't happen you know and we can't understand that um, but in his country if the boss says jump you say how high and well, you in go our through country, life, you, you, yeah you go through life being suspicious don't you yeah. Um, if, if you're a Roman of the way that, that he's grown up, were you ever aware of any traps that he or his people had set to try and catch, not people out, but traitors out, those who he wanted to see if they were with them or against him? 
I think there was lots of it going on, but I wasn't, I wasn't aware necessarily of that. You know, there was lots of people who came across, worked for a while and then disappeared again back to Lithuania. So whether that's because they, they annoyed them or displeased them or whatever, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I, think he, I think the relationship that I had with him was based on, I think he did believe that what I was telling him was the truth. Now, whether he, whether he took that as the truth or not, I think he knew that I was telling him the truth because I had no reason to, to uh, lie to him or try and deceive him. And I think so he what, appreciated that. What was the straw that broke the camel's back for your relationship and your company's relationship with, with Ukiyo Bankers? What happened that you and your PR firm were like, nah, no more? When he said he didn't want to communicate with people. Yeah. Why would... <laughs> there's nothing else you can do. I mean, he, he Good luck spinning that. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, because you do know that you've... It, I felt that part of my role was to try and engage the Hearts fans in what was going on. And, you know, when he is saying, you're getting... I'm not going to do it. There's no point in me being there. Now... The money wasn't coming out of Hart's account. It was coming out of Vlad's account and, and Yukio Bankers. So it wasn't cost... I never cost the club a penny in the time I was there. Um, so, you know, there was just no point. And it was getting to the stage where there was too many things that were just bizarre and, and you couldn't have pr it. You know, it just was unpearable, uncommunicable. Un-PR-able. You know, you just, it was unpearable. <laughs> you just couldn't do it. You, so... You know, there's no point in me bashing my head against the brick wall any longer. And I said, no, did he, sorry. Did he have the money, Charlie? Was the money there? And I know at the end it wasn't. But was there ever money there that he could have gone to the next level? I think he was unlucky. I think there was, you know, the, the purchase of the, was it the Royal Bank or the Bank of Scotland building on St. Andrew's Square? Yeah, like um, 20 million or something. 20 it? million. And we paid a wee bit more than the odds for that. So the money was there. Uh, and, you know, potentially other sort of property deals could have been done in Edinburgh where money would have been made and that would have been ploughed back into the club as, as part of the business process. So, you know, I think because there was the crash round about that time as well. So I think he was a wee bit unlucky. All these things, a uh, perfect storm came and that just dissolved everything. Now, listen, what happened at the end and, and people losing their job was, was you know, wrong, was poor and should never have happened but you know you know and the fingers have to be pointed at Vlad for all of that because you know lots of good people lost their job as a result of uh, him losing the plot. I mean on the money very briefly obviously we know how it ended up I mean were there concerns from your perspective um, and obviously especially from what was being communicated in a PR perspective about it because as early as 2007, you know, we were over, I think, 36 million in debt had come out. Um, there was some issues in 2008 with player wages being paid late, etc. Mm. Were, were there some alarm bells for you back then, or was it just a case you thought it was Vlad's way of, I guess, managing things, that it was often erratic? Yeah, exactly. Um, lots of the stuff going on was erratic. You know, when I was when I was closely involved, the bills were being paid. Um, now, sometimes they were late getting paid, 
But again, that's part of the the communication issues between Scotland and Lithuania and trying to trying to get Vlad to, you know, because he ran the place, so nothing got paid unless he signed it off. And if he was away doing something else or he was in another part of, the, of Europe, there were delays. And that, but that was only because of the way he ran his business that, you know, any money that was spent was either signed off by him or his sister. But his sister still needed him to say, go. So, you know, a lot of the early financial issues were around simple things like that. Um, just quickly going to go through some other questions we got. Very briefly, Kyle had mentioned what were the craziest things that he maybe said that you couldn't publish? Was there anything that um, he wanted you to put out there that you were like, there's just no way I can spin that. There's no way that can go out there without without it being a complete disaster. Uh, one of the New Year messages was uh, <laughs> was just ridiculous, uh, and I had to put a red pen through eighty percent of it. Uh, did, you ever, and, did you keep it, Charlie? Did you keep that one? No, Mark, I didn't. Uh, I should have actually. Uh, there was a few of the statements. You know, when they came from from Lithuania, I had to do serious work to tone them down because, you know, they were they were verging on being ridiculous. Egon Krenz mentioned, do you, do you know why that people are still so reluctant to talk about things during that era? Surely any non-disclosure agreements have now become null and void. People do seem wary sometimes about going into too much depth over Romanov's era? Is it just the air of that kind of um, the, the Russian unpredictability about it all? Well, listen, it's, it's normal business, isn't it, that uh, when some uh, deals are done that there's a non-disclosure agreement made. Um, so that's why some people may not be in a position to, to talk too widely about it. I've never been involved in a non-disclosure agreement. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, we're talking pretty openly tonight. Um, so, you know, uh, again, it's one of these things that, you know, I don't go shouting from the, the rooftops about it, but if people ask me about it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say nothing. Do you know his whereabouts right now, Charlie? Uh, last I heard it was Moscow, uh, but that's some time ago. Did you see, um, I, I can't actually remember picking this up at the time, but there was a Herald um, piece just about a year ago with some quotes from him, um, which were just very Vlad-esque. Um, <laughs> yeah, only in the last year talking about, um, we won the Scottish Cup, took second place in the league, and then we started putting young players on the pitch. Over 90% of the lineup were from the club's academy. There wasn't a team in the world like us who could boast about producing our own players and still making a profit we would have been a real force if we had kept going i had young players from all over scotland begging to play for me they dreamed of it and it's because they knew i would have played them when i was in charge of hearts we had a budget that was 10 times lower than celtic and rangers and i still beat them in fact i even managed to beat rangers when i was in Kaunas at europe and it just goes on about um what he'd planned and that he had plans with Gerard, um, and he would have made Hearts a huge force in the world. Um, he was just a bit 
crazy though, wasn't he? I mean, he was, you know, he, he was called Mad Vlad and in some ways affectionate, but he just, I think he believed a lot of these things, didn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah, people know him as Mad Vlad, but he wasn't mad in the true sense of the word. Uh, some of the things he did were mad, um, but, you know, he had a vision for the club, uh, you know, and I think in the early days, you know, he was solid with that vision. And, you know, I do think there was a lot of ambition to make that vision a reality because, you know, everybody would have would have benefited from that. Um, and then it just, it just, he lost his way. He lost his way because he let uh, his old suspicions and, and uh, concerns about what was going on and background and dodgy dealings get the better of him. And despite us, despite us all telling him, it just was not the truth. So, well, even yeah. in this piece, even in this piece here, he goes on to say the the Lithuanians turned to Interpol, but Russia refused to extradite me. I feel cheated about what happened. If I'd been beaten by another entrepreneur, I could have accepted it, but the state did it. They robbed me, <laughs> and then and I don't. I've never seen this before. I I, I can't. Verify the accuracy of these quotes, but it is on the Herald website. Um, yeah, but Laurie, remember, remember, you know, it points back to what I said about him being brought up in the in Russia in the Cold War. That's what the state did mm -hmm. to people in those days. That actually happened, and there's so many things you can watch in uh, historical uh, items and read about Russia that that is actually what happened, and that's why he had that view wherever he went, and it, you know. That's what I'm saying. He had to get that chip off his shoulder. You know, he needed to he needed to understand our ways. We needed to bend a little bit to understand where he was coming from. But, you know, it, he, against the background of where he was brought up and the era he was brought up, that is what happened. The state did things that they should not do. Charlie, it's been great having you on. I just want to I want to end with a couple of um couple of things if you wouldn't mind was there any discussion that you and him ever had bearing in mind um what i said earlier about the journalists that that you took over when we all went to to Kaunas and we watched the liverpool game um were you ever involved in any discussions pertaining to romanov's interest in purchasing liverpool there was certainly chat about it, and again, that was a good that was a good trip to to Liverpool and the Cavern Club and all the interviews he did there as well, which was, you know, got him right back. And he really, listen, he really enjoyed that because that took him right back to his early days of selling the Beatles records out the back of the mm. the boot of the car, you know. So that that was a magical moment for him, actually. Um, but the, you know, I think if he could have. If there could have been a way into Liverpool, I think there was there was some early discussions, but you know how far they went or or how serious they were, I don't know. Yeah, and that was before the the Tom Hicks and George Gillette purchase. And yeah. finally, um, if you knew absolutely everything prior to it all happening, and you knew what your involvement would be prior to it all happening, and you had your time again. And you were asked, would you want to do exactly what you did again? Would you have signed on the dotted line with uh, Ukio Bankis and Romanov? Or would you have let someone else do it? I would have done it. I would have done it in an instant because of, you know, going back to what I said at the early stage of this whole conversation we're having tonight, that, uh, that I would be keen as anybody 
to see the old firm domination broken and somebody else winning the league. And, you know, hopefully one of these days it will happen because, you know, the country... I think most open-minded Scottish football fans would really like to see somebody other than Rangers or Celtic win the league. And if it's Hearts or if it's Aberdeen or if it's somebody else, great. And, you know, I would have bought into it. I would have signed up to do it again. It was a, there were some great periods. There were some really rough periods. But, you know, I would definitely have done it again. You know, the, the semi-final victory over Hibs, never forget that day. The night at Tyne Castle against Aberdeen to clinch Champions League place. You know, again, the atmosphere that night was terrific. And, you know, the atmosphere and the whole aura around the club going to Tyne Castle and in those early days of the Burley era were just magical. And I, I wish we could get them back again. Well, hopefully there'll be um, some level of success akin to that at some point down the line. I'm sure if we do get it, Charlie, it won't um, be nearly as um, interesting as <laughs> as the years with Vladimir Romanov. I mean, everyone always talks about being a roller coaster, and it's one of those things that I think is why... And my final question is just going to be to get your thoughts on this, because we've spoken about it so many times. Despite the fact that Romanov was mental and, um, you know, tampered with the team, made some ridiculously bad signings. Obviously, there was good as well. And almost sent Hearts into oblivion. He's actually quite fondly remembered by most of Hearts fans. And obviously, it's partly success, but I think it's partly because it was just so unpredictable and it was exciting in many ways, even when it was crazy. And remember that where Hearts were before he came in because the club were going to be playing at Murrayfield and you know who knows what would have happened over the next few years if the club hadn't stayed at Tynecastle you know and the mess at the end terrible you know should never have happened um, but you know and it was a roller coaster there were some very very good moments some very very low moments but you know I think we all need to remember that Hearts were selling Tyne Castle that was being turned into flats and they were going to be lodging at Murrayfield. You know, if it wasn't for Vlad, where would the, what would have happened in that time? Because from what I understood, he was the only option. And, and even now you're, you're, um, you're representing him very well. <laughs> with some... No, with- no, listen, I'm no, not on a, here, no, to, I'm not no, on here a, to defend Vlad because, No, no, I'm just know, saying it's, 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 it's a perfectly reasonable com- um, comment And I think it's why people look at it that way That we were in the ship before he came And I guess, although we were in the ship when we ended it In the middle there were some, some great experiences So um, Yeah, oh. no, I, I, and some, I, I, yeah, some really, really You know, will there be, will, will the club generate as much coverage and, and positive coverage as they did in the early days of the Burley regime. Because remember, this was on the, the, you know, the nine o'clock as it was in those days and the six o'clock news UK-wide. You know, John Morrison was this BBC Scotland correspondent 
for those days. And he was outside Tynecastle talking about the old firm domination being ended. Yeah, huge story, huge story in Scottish football. And, you know, it could have happened. That's, you know, uh, you know I'm very, very frustrated. Still, you know, it's all these years passed and I'm still frustrated about that because I still think it could have happened. And I believe you. And, and, and hopefully we can get to back to that at some point. Um, listen, Charlie, r- thanks for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Um, no problem. We're just about up at the moment. So uh, good luck with with your um, current venture at the moment. And, you know, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate your insights into what was a very interesting period for us all. <laughs> good to talk to you, boys. Cheers. Thanks, Charlie. Speak soon. Okay, mate. See you later. Cheers, Bye-bye. Charlie. Thanks. Bye. Cheers. So that was Charlie Mann speaking to us on Scarves Around the Funnel, former uh, PR man for Vladimir Romanov and a broadcaster as well with the the BBC around that time. Um, it's one of those, uh, I know that both both you and Charlie like to go with the, I think the correct Romanov, but it's like with Skatchel, I just, I still can't help but say Romanov just because it's the one that fitted in at the time. Yeah, which is fair. Um, I think one of the things for us as commentators that that we like to do if we're faced with someone who we've heard pronounced different ways is just to ask the man himself. So so we did when we went to Lithuania in 2006 and said, how do you pronounce, how do you want your name pronounced? Vladimir Romanov was, was what he said. Fine, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. No problem either way. Uh, let's not nitpick about that. But Charlie was great. Yeah. And you, I think you can tell, Laurie, from, from listening to that, uh, he said right at the beginning how the Scottish national team, and a lot of people except you, clearly, from up north, <laughs> uh, um, didn't get the memo when it was posted, he was, he's a Huntley boy, so I mean, he had his local Highland League team, but Scotland was, was the team for him, so he never really had a big team, a big domestic team. Um, he bought into hearts, and you heard what he said about the, the Cup semi-final, um, against Hibernian and the Aberdeen game as well. And that's a football club that will mean a lot to him um, going forward, even though he's no longer involved. So I, I love the passion for someone that has no heart's blood in him whatsoever, but has a piece of hearts with him uh, as he goes forward. Yeah, and I found it quite funny when I was just hunting through old articles before we came on. And I hadn't spotted that Herald one, um, or at least I, I I didn't re- read it properly at the time, which was apparently January just this year. So in the last twelve months, um, yeah, someone's picked it. You know what it's like. There's there's British journals or or whatever over in Russia, and they'll scour the newspapers for anything that's to do with yeah. Scotland or England or whatever, and then they'll they'll make a they'll make a little bit of money by offering it to to newspapers over over here. Interesting stuff. And from time to time, he, his name does pop up and. He's always guaranteed a quote, isn't he? Well, at the end, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get it with Charlie. It obviously, passed his time of dealing with Romanov, but but he ended with once I had one billion assets, one one billion pounds worth of assets, including uh, loans and assets. Now I don't even get a pension here. A beautiful future awaits me. My new project is writing poetry to myself. I created a whole poem about the history of Lithuania. I'm excited about it. <laughs> I mean. Just as just as bizarre as as some of the things that came out when he was when he was at Heart of Midlothian. 
Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask Charlie. Did he actually have money? I'm not talking about did he have money. I'm talking about did he have a lot of money? Was he prepared to put his money where his mouth where his mouth was, or or not? Um, I, I'm I'm yet to be convinced. How was that money obtained? Again, that was part of the reason for the awareness of any skullduggery or or illegality. And I, I'm glad Charlie said that because I, I wouldn't expect him. As he said, he travelled up to Dundee. Uh, the, the Dundee United game at Tanadice or the day before and, and Romanov never said anything as well so his role had limitations yeah. um, he did what he did and I think I thought he did it, he did it very well um, I, I can I don't think there was one time where if I ever needed him to pick up the phone he didn't do it and that, that's not just for me that's for any journalist he was open um, he did as much as he could to help and advise. He would never send you down the wrong street. If there was one where you were right and he didn't want it out, um, he'd say, there's nothing I can do about it. I'll ask Vlad. He was, he was what public relations should be about, and a lot of people can, could learn from that. And it's, it's no surprise to this day, we, we, as in me and Gary Ralston and all the guys from, um, from back in the day that covered Hearts, when, when Charlie was in charge, still maintain a really good relationship with Charlie. He's one of the good guys, and, and I wish to thank him for coming on today. Indeed. It was great to have him on. We hope you've enjoyed listening. We will be back next week to talk more about Hart's more recent results, and we're hoping we can have one that's a bit more positive as Hart's travel to Capolo for the first time oh, in just over three decades, actually, as they play Greenock Morton on Saturday Uh, so we'll talk about that next week if there's anything you want to get in touch with us about you can tweet at Around the Funnel or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk until next time thanks for tuning in